did you think about this when you looked back and saw that it hadn't changed? I first asked if the screens had frozen. Why did you ask that? Because it hadn't changed. Okay. And did you find that it had frozen? No. How did well, you know? I was told that it was not frozen. Did Life you see the screen change yourself? Yes, I saw the person's moving. So what did you start thinking at that point? Something might be wrong. Why? Um, we don't get these videos often, or, you know, video at all, unless it's looking at the bridge or just looking at people walking. We very rarely get incidents where police are actively on a scene. Right, sir, uh, too. And they had changed. They had come from the back of the squad to the ground, and my instincts were telling me that something's wrong. Something has not right. I don't know what, but something wasn't right. Blackout Podcast. This podcast offers our community a dual perspective of black people who serve our community as law enforcement officers through thoughtful discussion, debate, and articulation of facts with some reasonable opinion. Our communities are struggling to coexist, and this podcast serves as a bridge to help reconcile these two communities. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow, and keep up with our page on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Someone that's yours, open the doors, help with the chores. Money galore, entrepreneur, pull up in the porch. Spin up at the stores, bring you flowers and more, girl. Yeah. You want a man who can provide? Look in your eyes, tell you no lies. Cook on the side in the hood with his guys. You are on the yeah, yeah, King of the Take your crown, King. My check one, two. My check one, two. You are now listening to the Black Cop Podcast. I am C-Dub, and I welcome you to this podcast. Of course, here we talk about mostly all things police-related um, and some extra stuff on the side, a little side sauce. Today, we're talking about the Derek Chauvin trial, in reference to him being charged with the murder of George Floyd. Um this trial is actively going on as I podcast and I just really felt like I needed to just talk to you all about what I am observing during this trial. Um, this is a publicized trial that hasn't been as publicized maybe since like OJ. Uh, it's on every media platform. It's hard to avoid. Um, but I just want to share with some things, share with you all some things I, I feel like I see from a police perspective from a law enforcement from like a sheriff or correction officer's perspective so let me just throw this out here to you real quick so you know what you heard in a bit well first of all the song that you heard was by Saha the Prince it's called Looking for Love um, and the person before him was the dispatcher um, on that day who received um, the call for service as well as 
was able to visually observe the use of force that was taking place on George Floyd. Her testimony particularly stood out to me because she is someone who is from the police department who, given the training and the culture and the experiences experiences she's had on the department, all of a sudden is placed in this moment of crisis, this moment of decision where your brain and your frontal lobe, your your cognitive process is contradicting your instinct. It's contradicting what you observe. Because I guess at some point, as some of us, you know, we all we all have a conscience and we all have a a compass in us that helps us determine whether or not what we're observing is right or wrong. She saw this incident occur right in front of her and she just felt compelled compelled to act. In what ways was that were you thinking that something was not right? It was an extended period of time. Again, I can't tell you the exact amount of time. Uh, and they hadn't told me if they needed any more resources. It's a, it's a multitude of different things that ran through my brain. But I became concerned that something might be wrong. Wrong with, with what? What are you thinking? It was a gut instinct of... In the incident, something's not going right. Whether it be... They needed more assistance, or if there were, there just something wasn't right. I don't know how to explain it. It was a gut instinct to tell me that now we can be concerned. And what did you decide to do? By the way, thank God for the gut instinct. I took that instinct and I called the sergeant. And do you recall who the sergeant was that you talked to? It was Sergeant Pluger. And um, why did you call a sergeant? The sergeant is the police officer's supervisor. Um, you're not uh, a Minneapolis police officer. No. You haven't gone through like the use of force training. No. But in your experience, you felt something was wrong here that a sergeant needed to know about. Correct. Um, if this was a form of use of force, I was calling to let them know. Why would you involve a sergeant in a call that might involve the use of force? Sergeants are are usually always notified for use of force. So what's going on here, right, is the prosecutor is identifying that someone who doesn't have to be a subject matter expert, someone who has a common knowledge of what is right and wrong or what is reasonable and necessary could observe the event and say something's wrong. This dispatcher who was observing this event from her dispatch station, observing the visual footage of this incident and seeing them stay in one spot for a long period of time, and ends up questioning if the video is frozen. Now it's starting to develop this gut instinct that something is wrong and I need to notify a sergeant. 
By the way, notifying a sergeant is a sergeant is typical for use of force situations because it's an added level of accountability, plus more paperwork has to be done, and it's an effort to make sure that the officers are carrying out their duties in accordance to policy, accordance to what the department has trained officers to do. And so did you, in fact, call Sergeant Luger? I did. Have you ever in your career before called a sergeant for something like this? Multiple. For an incident like this? Right. To be exact, no. Okay. Um, Where you had this instinct and felt something was wrong and you needed to call a sergeant about it. Have you ever had that incident or that situation before this incident? If something was wrong with a call, yes. If... And not, I don't know how to say this, not if I can call a sergeant for anything because they are a a resource. And if I'm wrong, then I'm I'm wrong. Um, But I can call them regarding calls if something doesn't look right in a call, if there's a caution note, if there's something that they can do beyond the scope of the call, I can call them. And have you had a chance to listen to a recording of that call you actually made? So what she's saying there is that, like, I can call them at any point in time because I might have a question or I might need to understand whether or not you want an officer to go to a call for service or if if it's okay to clear somebody so they can go answer a call or this citizen has a, a complaint or this person wants us to come out, but we don't respond to those types of events. They're a resource and there is a practice and a pattern of them making communications with the sergeant in order to make sure they're doing, making the right decisions. Yes. And that recording is made as part of the business of the call center records that traffic. Everything's recorded. And we played a recording of that for you previously. Yes. And was it an accurate recording of your call? Yes. We've now marked that as Exhibit 12. Your Honor, we would offer Exhibit 12. No 12 was received. And at this time, we'll play that call, all right? 2030, 44, May 25, 2020. Hey, this is Jenna West. Jenna West. Hey, what's up? Hey, so um, just wanted to let you know about the person with a knife at 2602 Bloomington. And then, I didn't know, you can call me a snitch if you want to, but we have the cameras up for 320's call. Oh, did they already put him in the, they must have already started moving him. Um, and 320 over at Cup Foods. Okay. Um, I don't know if they had use force or not. They got something out of the back of the squad, and all of them sat on this man. So I don't know if they needed you or not, but they haven't said anything to me yet. Yeah, they haven't said anything. This was just a take down, which doesn't count, but. Okay. I'll find out. No problem. I, we don't get to ever see it, so when we see it, we're just like, well, uh, well that looks okay. a little different. <laughs> All right, thank All you. Right. Bye. So I just want to point out that, like, you know, what she did took tons of carriage. This black woman in the police profession, which is typically dominated by white people, white race, white culture, um, 
they are typically dispatchers are typically, you know, on the team, gun hole, um, you know, whether whether you want to say blue lives matter or whatever, they're just like very pro police. And if you caught it, one of the first things she said was like, you know, I I don't I don't I guess I'm snitching, but I just wanna call pretty much call this to your attention. And then she says that well they you know they had this call for service in reference to this individual who who's supposed to have a knife and then they want to take him in custody and they had to take him to the ground and then the, chair, the, the sergeant just like says oh it's probably just a takedown <laughs> and it's just he's like oh okay okay cool I just you know all right I just want to let you know you know I just want to kind of do my part um, to try to help rectify the situation and. That level of conversation speaks to the walking on eggshell that happens when you attempt to hold somebody accountable in your own circle. And unfortunately for her, she felt like she could have been snitching on the officers. Unfortunately, for her, this is not a gang. This is not a street life. You know what I mean? There is no snitching rule in law enforcement. Uh, if anything, it would be a problem because they had, that would be something adapted from the streets, which you are there to protect people from street life and street aspects. And she ends up just seeing something is off. And I can hear the nervousness. I can hear the concern. And, bec- and because it takes all of that, to reach out to a sergeant in an effort to hold an officer accountable, accountable shows you how much police culture has to change. She should feel empowered. She should feel emboldened. She should feel like it is her duty assignment and she will be supported by her peers and her superiors if she identified police behavior that led to the violation of constitutional rights, human rights, or state law, or whatever have you, case law. She should she should feel as though I have the ability to make this rule, and if even if I'm wrong, I will walk away with my head high and respected amongst my peers and my superiors because I am trying to hold officers accountable, which ultimately helps officers keep their jobs, perform well, and and helps them properly serve the citizens. Her response was heavy. Her response was was like, I, I don't know if, I, you know, I don't want to cause no any waves. I don't want to make any disturbances. I ain't, I'm not trying to piss anybody off. I just want you to know that there's something wrong. And then the sergeant, nonchalantly, without really knowing the entirety of the situation, already makes an excuse to justify the behavior. And it's like, well, they, oh, they must have just did a takedown. Well, you, don't, you don't even know what you saw. You don't, you don't even know what she saw. You don't even know what actually occurred. And it is the struggle to hold people accountable within their own position, within their own job, that leads to this behavior of mistrust. This is something that we have to change in policing. Policing is a public gig. It's a public job. 
the element of transparency, the element of accountability should be bar minimum. I mean, like we, we should be, we should be, you know, able to, um, correctly and assessly identify whether through officers' cameras, by citizen, uh, city cameras, whether it's through accounts, phone calls, internet searches, email searches, FOIA requests, whatever is necessary to make sure the citizens are being properly protected. Not because we're trying to get gotcha moments on officers or because we're trying to like, you know, make, you know, life unbearable on a, in a job that is extremely difficult. But in that moment, she observed what could have been easily been the, to a lot of people, in their opinion, the most obvious and the most nefarious, the most intentful use of malice and maliciousness on a, on a citizen, on a black man, in the form of police brutality that anybody could see. She witnessed that. And most people outside of that circle are confident and, and bold and ready to say, that's some, this is wrong. What are they doing? But in that policing psych circle that she's in, it's a struggle. Because anything she says in that moment, and she could have easily, if she would, if she had turned out to be wrong, and George Floyd was alive today, and it was let out that she thought an officer was doing wrong and overreacting and being overly sympathetic or not doing his job correctly, can, can, you can't imagine. I mean, you really can't imagine the isolation, the excommunication, the the backlash, the the difficulty of getting promoted, going further in the department. Some people just leave if you call somebody out, but all because you think something's happening, but it's not there. That 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 is damaging. But for her to take that chance, I just wanted to call out that, like, you know, she was looking for love. Not for like a personal sense, but like she was looking for, hey, this guy's been on the ground for a long time. Officers have been on this guy for a long time. At some point, the compassion and the be nice until you can't be nice and be nice again, that nice again at the end, that at some point that's got to come back. At some point, there's got to be a, a a common love and respect for people and humanity and just so someone can maintain their dignity. And she kept looking at that video and she was like, where is the love? <laughs> like, where is the appropriate treatment of this gentleman and, well, you know, gentleman in custody? What this guy in custody? Why are these? Why does it feel like these officers are being hateful towards him. Yeah, yeah, I love it. King, 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 King